0: great. I mean, I've been recording the, uh, uh I've been displaying the spectral frequency on, uh, audition because I've been, uh, going out, bird watching the last couple of days and ah. recording bird calls. So when you're yeah. looking at the, uh, you know, yeah, the, the, the waveforms, I mean, it's, it's more important to look at the, the, the frequency, uh, the frequencies mm-hmm. that each call has rather than just the amplitude.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is exactly what phoneticians do all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly distracted at the moment because to be honest, I should put this away, but actually let me just make sure that this game, um, I finished this round of this game and then I can put this away. Hmm. I'm playing Bloons Tower Defense 6, uh, okay. on my phone. So uh-huh. it's a, it's a tower defense game. So, you I mean, you know how those go, right? The t- there is a, an I army so, of sorts yes. marching towards your castle. And then mm-hmm. you have to put towers, right, to kind of shoot at this army that's approaching your, you know, your your, your towers and then you just kind of... Uh, not approaching your towers per se, but approaching your, your castle or whatever it is you're trying to defend. Okay, I'm putting this away right now. Um, <laughs> and Bloons Tower Defense is a... It's a game that... Um, where the, the army that's... You know approaching your so there is no ta- there is no castle per se right basically right. there is a path and then the the army that is coming down this path is an army of balloons hence the name <laughs> balloons
0: uh, i okay yes and this is an interesting concept i've never heard of before <laughs> but okay
1: and your towers are all monkeys Oh dear and, god. And yeah, no. So this is an extremely this is I know it sounds crazy and kind of weird, but actually the origins of this game are quite benign. <laughs> um I mean as if, you know, a game could be more benign than having like an army of balloons attacking an a defense of monkeys. Um but basically it originated as a flash game, of course. Yes. Right. What is flash? Huh? Yeah, what is flash? <laughs> Yeah. So originally thought. it was a flash game on one of those, you know, on one of those like flash game websites whose names um, I cannot remember at all now. But you know what I'm talking about, right? It's those websites yes, of that course. just I'm, collections. We're of both Black old games. enough.
0: We're both yeah. old enough to remember exactly. Flash as uh, being a thing that kept prompting you to read uh, to update it. Yes, of course. And install it on computers. Um, so that was uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I did have to <sighs> reinstall Flash recently, but for another topic, <laughs> you know, we we maybe we'll come back to it you know, later in this episode or later, sometime later, whatever. But um, it was a Flash game and it was just called Bloons. And what this game was, was um, you were given an array of, of balloons, right? On the screen. And then you had a monkey in the lower left corner with a set number of darts. And then you had to throw the darts so as to clear all the balloons from the screen. Right, so yes. that that was literally it, and then of course, as you go on, it gets harder and harder. There are obstacles in your way, there are blocks that will like reflect, you know, that, you know, that cause the cause that the uh, the darts to bounce off and things like that. So, um, Oops, yeah, it was one of those games that I played a few times and then kind <laughs> of forgot about, uh, right. along with things like Shopping Cart Hero. Remember that.
0: No, I that, do not remember that. That does not ring a bell. Does not ring a bell.
1: Okay, so shopping cart hero. Um, we'll just talk about shopping cart hero for a bit because it's so ludicrous, and then we <laughs> can get back to <laughs> to balloons. So shopping cart hero was a game in which you started at the top of a ramp, and you are pushing a shopping cart. Okay. Okay, and then oh. you invoke a command to have your. Character, which is a little stick figure, run down the ramp, right? And then you invoke another command to jump into the cart. What? Oh. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. Oh dear God. Yes, correct. I think I know where this is going, but I don't want to know where it's going. Correct.
1: And then at the bottom of the ramp, there is like a kind of, you know, ski ramp kind of launch. And then it launches you into the air and then you can do various tricks in the air and then you have to land right side up.
0: So it is... <laughs> oh, I think I remember this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is effectively...
1: Yeah, it's effectively... Uh, it's a ski jump. Yeah.
0: It's, it's a ski a jump, except that sorts, when yeah. you
1: when you land, you don't land on skis. You land in the shopping cart. You have to make sure you land right side up in the shopping cart. Yeah. And then as yep. you progress through the levels, you can have... Um, you can trick out your shopping cart. You can add a rocket to it. Right? You can add tricks to it. And, um, yeah, stuff like that. Anyway... I mean,
0: to to segue into something we've been talking about over the last goodness knows how many weeks, right? Uh-huh. You know, uh, about Flash. I do not have... Or I, I re- recall having some programming background in ActionScript, uh-huh. but not much. I've made a few Flash videos in my time. <laughs> but yeah. how difficult would these games have, have been to program in the first place?
1: I mean, a lot of okay. So this, it is something that we've been talking about, you know, over the last few weeks, as as you mentioned, which is that, um, I mean, I did quite a lot of programming as a kid, right? As did you? Um,
0: Well, less less so, but yeah, probably less. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
1: but it's like so. When I was a kid, I learned like PHP, right? And at the time, it was PHP four. And now we are on PHP 7, as I said, and in the intervening period... Okay, this is how long ago it was. Because I had to kind of think about this because when I was like, writing applications for uh, graduate school in computer science, which is such a weird thing to say, um, I kind of had to fill in that gap, right? Like, what happened in between picking up programming as a kid and then coming back to it as an adult?
0: Yep, yeah.
1: When I was learning PHP, GitHub did not exist,
0: There we go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Laravel, which is a PHP framework, did not exist. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, jQuery was just beginning to exist. Yeah. Right. And, um, so it's, it's just all these kind of weird things. It's kind of a disjoint kind of, it's, it's literally like as if, you know, 15 year old programmer me fell asleep and then woke up 15 years later. (laughs) And i be like, what the hell is going on with everything? Um, So the thing about it is when you talk about programming, right, and you talk about the skills that a modern software engineer or software developer is going to need, you have the languages, which are things like C, JavaScript, Java, PHP, Ruby, and so on. Uh, And then you talk about the things that, um, the frameworks that exist on top of those things, right? Which in, in, okay, so just to kind of give a a few examples Concrete examples like JavaScript has like a ton of frameworks on top of it. And JQuery, um, and then I think on top of jQuery, there's jQuery UI. You have React, and then on top of React, you have React Native, mm-hmm. Angular, Vue, Node. These are all frameworks that exist on top of JavaScript. For Ruby, you have Ruby on Rails, famously. So, I mean, this is yeah. a kind of weird thing, like because back in like 2004, 2005, okay, actually it's 2005, because I think Ruby on Rails only started to exist it was only released huh. in 2005 um, yeah. yeah so when Ruby on Rails came out I remember like hearing some buzz about it on the internet and blah 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 and then I was you know talking to my dad I was like hey I'm hearing about this thing called Ruby on Rails my dad was like Ruby that's that's old <laughs> and then I think this is kind of where I at the time I did not understand it and now only now does it start to make sense because what it is ruby the language is old mm. right yep. in the world of computing um ruby yep. on rails is a framework that only came out i think it was 2005 when it came out um oh i see okay yeah thereabouts and what these frameworks are right Are uh, they are effectively i i they're kind of libraries in a mm. sense yep Right, yep. but they are libraries, or you know, fra- let's just, okay, fine. They are frameworks. They exist. They are written in the language. They exist on top of the language. That allow yep. you to that abstract away, right? Some very commonly performed tasks yep. in that language. So, for example, when you're developing a web application, a very common thing that you have to do all the time is authentication. Yes. So. Way back when, right, in the early 2000s, when you were building a PHP web application, everybody implemented their own authentication. They yeah. wrote their own login. Yeah, they wrote their own login um, page. Yep. They wrote I their own like, script to, you know, check their database and all yes, yada yada. Exactly. And some smart aleck realized, why are we making, why are we duplicating all this work? So they came up with, you know, they would build a framework in that language, whether it was PHP or Rails or Python or whatever, to say, okay, you know this language. Now, install this set of tools on the server, and now we have built-in functions that will do X, Y, and Z right away.
0: Yeah. Right? I mean, this is very similar to how, you know, bi- uh, basically all the computational work in biology happens. Yes. It's- Yes, you have a bunch of people who know sort of the basic syntax of say R or Python, and then you have a bunch of libraries that people prepare, and then you yep. go, okay, you know, I don't have to learn how to say uh, run a Bayesian, uh, you know, MCMC by right. hand. The software already does it. Already does the MCMC for me.
1: Right, exactly. So it's a case of I just you know have everybody. To call the
0: yeah. To it's call like the a... routine, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody sits through the same few, you know, like classes on on like, okay, this is how you run this type of analysis, this is how you run that type of analysis, then it mm. would be incredibly stupid if every single scientist went back and sat in front of their computer and wrote their own <laughs> function to implement yep. that analysis. So it's just... Exactly. okay. It's also kind of like, you know, I remember being you know 12 years old in class and then some external math teacher or whatever came in and was like, oh, by the way, do you know that when you get to secondary school, you're allowed to use calculators... And then everybody was like, "Oh my god, this is just total scandal,
0: right?" It's right. like,
1: why are we learning like arithmetic? Uh, why aren't we, you know, just you know, why can't we just use calculators? Calculators exist, um, but it's the same kind of, you know, you you have to understand the lower level of abstraction mm-hmm. before you use the higher mm-hmm. level,
0: right? I mean, although this, this does bring up, again, something we've talked about uh, in, in earlier iterations of, of, of the podcast as well, which is that, you know, when you have uh, people who just blindly use these kinds of packages, if there is a mistake mm-hmm. in one of these packages, that propagates through the literature. Correct. Um, I think I mentioned this in the context of population genetics uh, oh, yes. where some of these packages give different results for the same input data set, so that's interesting in the in the context of okay you know is it down to some kind of mathematical error is it down to the way in which the data is analyzed? Is this in you know, one of those rounding effects that that gives rise to major discrepancies in final output um so that's one one Possible, uh, you know, problem. But the other one was well, This was a, I read this in an article in Ars Technica, I think either late last year or early this year, where they found. I think a bunch of chemists found that a whole bunch of papers had to be revised because mm-hmm. a software that they wrote gave different results on different operating systems.
1: Oh my god! Which is god. even
0: more significant, right? Oh my so, god! So that's painful. Yeah. I need to go look up the article, but it was, when I read it, it was like, oh, shit. You know, it's, uh, uh, it, that's, that's pretty major. and, and you know, Right. So, so, yeah, knowing your first principles is good and you know, important as well since it helps you to do check and, and make commonsensical kind of uh, sanity checks once in a while as well. Although some things are very hard to QC, right? If, yes. if I'm running a complex analysis that's using a Bayesian MCMC, and, you know, how am I going to check if the MCMC was implemented correctly?
1: Right, yeah So I think um, Going back to Shopping Cart Hero Right What I'm (laughs) trying to get at Is that um, Just as there are frameworks For For, you know Front-end development Back-end development There are also Game development frameworks So I don't know enough About this This is Mm -hmm. An area that I've never Really explored But if you look at um, Things like Unity For example um, Unreal
0: Engine Or
1: Unreal Engine, yeah, exactly. I mean in my in my Lavagon course, um I was looking at an optional exercise that um used a game development framework for Ruby <laughs> called Gosu. Oh. And it it is a command line um I shouldn't say as a command line thing I mean it allows you to draw a window allows you to draw you know images and mm-hmm. everything and so on and so forth um, and what the framework does is that it's updating the screen every every uh sixty seconds right right and it's drawing the image every sixty seconds and that is something that if you are working exclusively in the command line you you, you don't really have that um and I mean if you think about you know everything that goes on top of your if you if you are say uh Mac os software developer Mm. right Mm -hmm. Uh, and you're writing in Xcode right Um, there is a lot of visual there are a lot of visual elements that are already done for you because it makes zero sense again for every Mac OS developer to be drawing their own windows right to be creating their own file menus like that makes no sense to be reinventing
0: the wheel basically
1: exactly so all of these things they are already they are already um Built as frameworks into you know any mature platform, so I mean speaking of the 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 gosu um assignment mm-hmm. i I did not finish it um <laughs> I was so you're asked to reimplement snake yeah. using gosu, yeah. yeah, and I was just like, you know what i'm I'm <laughs> not <laughs> intending to be a game developer, and this is I I'm I'm gonna reach a point where I'm just gonna be happy with what I've able to do with Gosu, which is I managed to make a a a twenty by twenty square, move around on the screen in response to keystrokes.
0: <laughs> okay, and, let me stop you there. Do people uh-huh. still even play snake?
1: I don't know. I'm sure you can find a flash. Implementation of do it somewhere. Do people still know what
0: Snake is? I mean, Snake was like the iconic, right? Everyone's handphone had yes. Snake implemented on their phone, and you know, these days, yeah. obviously, the smartphone you can do so much more than that. So it's like, yeah. okay, I mean, this is one of those generational era games where you have Snake, yeah. Solitaire, Free Cell, Minesweeper. Yeah, that I mean, characterized an to, entire generation growing up.
1: I'm just going to assume that people know what Snake is. So I, I, I got to the point where it could render <laughs> a, a, a food. Um, pixel it's not exactly a pixel it's 20 by 20 um, a food right. square randomly on the screen it had a snake square that could run around the screen but when it hits the food square nothing happens if it goes off screen nothing happens it's still recording the position of the snake so if it goes off screen and then you maneuver the snake back it eventually reappears on the screen and then i was like you know what i'm happy with this
0: <laughs> but the—but
1: i think coming to it right like there is no edge detection there is no collision detection. Yeah. Right, yep. um, there are as far as I could tell, there was no really easy way to display text because go through is basically just treating it as a canvas of pixels. Uh, there probably yeah, so you have is some re-
0: hard code, everything
1: some, I mean, there probably is some function for text, but I just didn't get that far.
0: Is an yeah. kind ASCII of function? or...?
1: I don't think so, I think it's like actual you know it will it, oh. it's a like a font function but okay, i was okay. just like you know what i'm i'm, I'm done for for now um, i'm right. happy with this i don't plan to be a game developer i'm out <laughs> um, but <laughs> i think the the point is i don't know enough about you know unity or unreal engine mm. or lua or any of the commonly used languages and frameworks for game development but i would imagine that many of them have implemented collision detection edge right. detection out of bounds detection some kind of yeah. something like that and then you wouldn't yeah. be checking like is the exposition of this above the x, whatever you'd just be like I have an object it already stores its own x and y and maybe z position mm-hmm. I have another object mm-hmm. it's also storing its own x and y and z position are they colliding then yeah.
0: Yeah. you don't think about it I mean, there'll obviously Always be some clipping When you have, you know More yes. complex games But, you know The major collision uh, Ones are the ones You want to avoid Huh, I didn't know Pokemon Go was written In Unity Sorry Oh, wow
1: <laughs> It's a modern enough game <laughs> For that Yeah Yeah Speaking of which well, But we'll, we'll yes. come back to that After we reverse You know, back to Bloons Speaking of which <laughs> um, Summer Games Done Quick Starts in mm. less than 24 hours I'm is not sure. Right? Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure which how far away it is because of the time difference. Yes, but it's it's starting on 16 August 2020. So it's supposed to be happening within the next 24 hours, starting in the next 24 hours. So mm. if you're not familiar with uh, games done quick, it is a speed running marathon where mm. people try to complete games <laughs> as fast as possible, and this often takes a lot of advantage of glitches in the games, including things like, you know, um, poor edge detection, poor collision detection, <laughs> you know, being able to accidentally go out of bounds. Uh, it's actually great when you see it in games like Mario Kart, for example. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Ca-
1: yeah, like you can, you can actually find videos of speedrunners of any kind of racing game, really. Where somebody has found like a, a spot in the track where you can actually go out of bounds, and then you just cut across, Yep. and then you're back and you've <laughs> left the field. Anyway, I mean that's just one one example um, or another. Um, I mean they have all these techniques like pause buffering, where mm-hmm. you know if you pause the game, the action that you are going to that you are going to take, it's buffered and then when you unpause, it all happens at once and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, like there is a, a kind of semi-famous, semi-famous in the speedrunning world, not actually famous, <laughs> semi-famous episode in a, a few GDQs ago, ago, when um a speedrunner, um, the doorbell just rang. I don't know who it is. I'm not going to answer yes, it. Yes, I, I hear it. Yeah. So uh, a speedrunner, um... I forget his name, but I know that he's referred to as the Swedish Sniper. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he mostly speedruns Zelda. And in one of the Zelda games, he did like a trick that required like 10 minutes worth of pause buffering. (laughs) (laughs) And so the first 10 minutes of the speedrun, was just the game? Okay, so the, the, other, this, the other thing about GDQ, it's a, it's a charity speedrunning marathon. So they are raising funds yeah. for, for a charity, usually either Doctors Without Borders or um, the Prevent Cancer Foundation. One of the two, usually. Mm. So um, one of the ways that they raise money is people bid, like they, they donate money towards, you know, setting some game setting or the other right to be a particular thing so people will will say like oh I want um, the starters Pokemon the starter Pokemon name to be like John Cena or something um, <laughs> and who, whichever option gets the most money that's what the speedrunner will use so in this particular right. game um, the the winning language was Italian so the run of <laughs> Zelda was done in Italian Using the Italian version of the game. so the Oh, first, wonderful. Yeah, like the first like 10 minutes of this speedrun was just the screen going, pausa, 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 for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, anyway. That's glitches and games yes. and game
0: development and blah, blah, blah. Coming back to Bloons. So... I'm trying to recall. Uh-huh. Sorry, I'm side tracking. When yep. I actually, what I actually you learned ActionScript for, and I suspect I may not actually have learned action <laughs> script. Um, what I learned, okay. I think I mentioned this before as well. Was Lingo. So Lingo was right, the programming right, language yes. for Macromedia Director, which is right. also run by you know was also built by Macromedia. I it's I feel like we've had flash-like. this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, but I think yep. it's more built for interactive multimedia applications yep. rather than, you know, video per se. Uh,
1: remember when Flash wasn't owned by Adobe? Yeah,
0: I, remember Macromedia was actually a separate company. Good lord! Yeah, it was. It was. Um, director was discontinued in 2017. Okay, so it, it did last for a fair amount of time.
1: Probably um, too long.
0: Guessing. Yeah, probably probably way too long. I remember learning this when I was what fifteen, I think. I probably went on the yeah. Singapore Poly for a course. It was a week long course, and you know it was, it was a lot of fun. And Lingo was a very user friendly, very beginner friendly language because it's very verbose.
1: Right. So right. It, it
0: it it reads kind of like, you know, actual language writing rather than you know a more abstract programming language. That's an
1: interesting thing that a lot of languages try to do, and. Often yep. miserably fail, at, but <laughs> I'm I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that sometime. Um, well, I mean
0: it's one of the reasons why you know I how I got into programming, right? Not right. with the the super abstract languages, but it's one of the reasons why R is popular with biologists because you know right. I'm I'm saying as a biologist, we're not the smartest people on earth. <laughs> um, okay. uh, a lot of us have problems with math. A lot of us have problems with. Coding and so one right. way to get people into coding is to start with something that's easy to understand and easy to to write in. And so right, right, R,
1: right. Okay. I mean, I've still not used R, although I've been looking at. Um, I I don't know. I'm ambivalent about this because I have no plans to um, mm-hmm. you know go into anything that requires the kind of um, the kind of well, basically R is built for data analysis. Um yep. Yep. and it's very applied, I in that sense. Yeah. And I don't really have any plans to do anything that would require a heavy mm-hmm. amount of R. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of ambivalent about it. But I've been looking at data camp and mm-hmm. thinking about doing some of the Python data analysis stuff. Yeah. 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 But anyway. Going back to balloons. Yes, so, oh God. Yeah. So when I first, you know, got an iPhone, I kind of thought to myself, hey, remember that stupid balloons game? <laughs> right? That would be a great mobile game. Um, because, you know, you are manipulating... You're trying to manipulate the trajectory of a dart, right? So, yep. I was like... It's kind of like Angry Birds, but with... with.
0: <laughs> Which I believe was made in Unity as well. I Or think at least one version of it.
1: Many, many, many games you will find are made in Unity.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: Yeah. So... I found a game called Bloons on the App Store and then I was disappointed to realize that it was not at all the game that I remembered and I was like I ah, forget it and <laughs> then um, yeah it was a while later that I kind of came back to it and then I, I realized that it was a tower defense game and I kind of like mm. learnt and figured out the mechanics of it because I think it was the first and still to date the only tower defense game that I played and um yeah, at the time it was Bloons Tower Defense 3 when I started when I started playing it and now okay. we are up to Bloons Tower Defense 6. Right. So, um the thing is it is it has evolved to become like a fairly complex and strategic game and you know, and, and there are people who make a decent um I I don't know if they make a living necessarily, but there are a couple <laughs> of people who have a decent um side gig shall we say as um, as Bloons Gamers by streaming on Twitch and posting to YouTube and so on and some of them are very very good so there is a guy called um, Esab or Isab I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced because it's (laughs) one of those things right with you only ever see the name and you never hear it pronounced I I mentally think Esab but I think it's Isab because he's Canadian Um, it's I-S-A-B Okay. Ice app. Ice Yeah. <laughs> and I read somewhere that it's supposed to stand for "I suck at balloons," which he doesn't. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and he he plays these like crazy, crazy challenges. Like <laughs> he will try and complete the game with only you know one tower at a time or you know stuff like that. Um, stuff that really I mean it is a strategic or tactical game, right? So it's not sure. it's not the kind of game that depends on like fast reflexes and and mm-hmm. you know like pixel perfect kind of you know responses and Accuracy stuff like that. Of but yeah. 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 So if you can put the towers where he puts them at the time he puts them and click on the mm-hmm. buttons, right, in approximately the right time frame, uh mm-hmm. you could do what ISAB does, but the where he's really good at is you know the, the problem solving aspect of it figuring out okay, I have this level coming up, it needs a certain set it needs towers that meet a certain set of criteria yeah. and they need to cover this much of the track, yeah right, and so how do I do that with the money that I have and, and stuff like he 's really good at it. So nice. I'll probably put a link to that in the show notes. But anyway, the the reason I bring all this up is because, right? Um, I've often wanted to try and do a kind of I don't I don't know if analysis is the right word. That might be overkill, but when you're thinking about a tower defense game, right? There are certain mathematical ways to approach it. <laughs> um, Your 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 the track, right, is essentially a graph, a graph in Ye- the yes, well, it's a graph. Oh in dear the, God, here we go.
0: Okay, yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. it's not
1: a graph in the graph theory sense. It's a graph right. in the in the Cartesian sense. Yes, you can, yes. You can draw it with x and y coordinates, right? Yes. And then yes. now for the rest of it, what you're doing is you're drawing circles, where the area of the circle overlaps the graph as much as possible, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And then that shows you where you have the most coverage. But of course, that doesn't give you the yep. full picture because you still have things like fire rate, right? Some yes. monkeys some monkeys yes. fire faster yes. um, than others and some monkeys will fire more powerful projectiles than others. And so you will have some kind of multiplier that goes on top of that. And, <laughs> and um yeah. And the, the, the kind of crazy thing is when you think about the model that underlies the game, I mean, that's exactly what the programmers are doing, right? When they are programming mm-hmm. the game. They've created yeah. a track. The track occupies a certain set of, you know, a certain area, right? In a Cartesian plane. Um, and then when you put monkeys, right? The monkeys have an area of effect. Then you have the balloons moving along this track. And then when they enter... The The monkey is pulling every frame, pretty much mm. every frame actually. The monkey is okay. pulling every frame to see whether an and a balloon has entered its area of influence right it's yep. a collision yep. detection yep. basically yeah it comes okay. in and then a dot goes out and then there's another round of collision detection because the monkey can whiff
0: oh oh right wow. okay. the balloon enters yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: the 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 zone or the yep. monkey's, you know, sideline, and then the monkey fires a dart, and then the dart yep. moves. There's
0: a success rate. Oh, yeah, okay.
1: Correct. But the dart may not move at that speed that
0: mm-hmm. you need.
1: So it goes out, and then uh, then there is a second round of collision de- detection, like the dart is mm-hmm. pulling every frame. Have I hit a balloon? Yep. Right? Yep. And so when you're doing that on the programmer side, right, it's all um, prospective when you are trying to figure out a way to do it as a player, you are trying to work backwards and be like, okay, I have X number of balloons coming down the track, right yep. at this frequency and at this strength, right? I mean, yep. strength is effectively a form of iteration. Like how many times do I need to hit this balloon
0: before it yes. it pops? I mean, right. when, when, you, when you know a bit of programming and you think about it from a programming standpoint, you can see all the mechanics underlying all this. Yes. And, you know, how all these need to be in place before the right. game actually works.
1: Right. And how and some I of mean, it is
0: actually very complex as well. Right.
1: I mean, can you imagine solving this as a purely mathematical problem, right? Given, yeah, well. you know, for any given level, what mm-hmm. is the most optimal way to pass the level? Right and then uh, which is the thing in in discrete math, right optimality mm-hmm. is uh yep. you know is is a, is a kind of constant question, which is yes we can we can solve the problem this way, but is it the most optimal solution mm-hmm. as measured mm-hmm. by number of moves as measured by time taken as measured by you know like resources needed or whatever, and mm-hmm. then um, you can do it on one round on a one round basis, but then when you go to two rounds, you have a separate question because something that's optimal over one round may not be optimal over two rounds, right? Yeah. Yeah, And then you go on, yeah, three, four, five, and all the way up to the most um, challenging mode on the game is 100 rounds. Yeah. Um, So, and that is only the default game modes because then after that, you have free play. And in free play, you can set, I mean, most people reach free play and it's just, okay, let's see how many rounds I can go out to. But uh, I Mm Up in Bloons 5 has gone past 1,000 rounds. Oh, jeez Louise. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, and I think it was you know, like a 12-hour stream or something. I can't remember.
0: Right. I mean, you know, I, I huge respect to these people because, you know, just the, the amount of investment required, not just to play the game, but to plan everything yep. ahead of time as well, is what on earth? Yep. I don't have that kind of patience, right? And, you know, I, I do yep, play a couple games here and there. And you know, I mean, these people who devote all the time to you know making walkthroughs and figuring out optimal strategies for these things—holy yeah. cow!
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, um, balloons is not really a speedrunning game because okay. of the way that it's built. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you can see some commonality between speedrunners who are always trying to optimize for speed, sure. and someone like Isa who's all, who's trying to optimize for other. Other factors. Yeah, yeah uh, the I mean, reason yeah. that Bloons is not a speed running game is that every round takes a fixed amount of time. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. As a minimum. So. Yeah. Unless you well, can break the game, it's it's just uh-huh. not going to happen. Yeah. Well,
0: I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons, but not the <laughs> pen and paper version. Uh, okay. This is uh, this is actually very surprising. Dungeons and Dragons, you know, obviously has been around since the what the eighties, and nineties. It's been around right. for a while. Um, and in uh, 2006, a uh, bunch of people decided, you know what? Let's make it an MMO. Oh,
1: oh, and oh! So right, right,
0: right. Dungeons and Dragons Online was released in 2006. Right. And I, I, I you know, when, when it first came out, or at least you know, I, 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 I found the game. I think sometime, probably in mid-late secondary school or JC. Right. Uh, which would have been, you know, the, the later 2000s and the early 2010s. And 14 years down the road, this game is still alive. People are still playing this game. It's held up surprisingly well over time. And, you know, it does quite faithfully replicate the Dungeons & Dragons mechanic, which is originally dice-based. Right, yes. Right, So, which, I mean, I guess does lend itself very well to computer game mechanics. Because yep. it's basically, you know, you, you give a bounded, uh, say, 1 to 20, and you tell the computer, roll a random number within mm-hmm, this yep. within this min-max bound, and you use that to, to decide whether or not a decision is successful or unsuccessful. Yep. Right. And so, you know, it's a matter of just taking that and building it into this really complex mechanic where you have, you know, a million and four different decision-making processes happening at any point in time. Say you're yep. in combat and you cast a spell... You have to figure out, number one, whether the spell succeeds. Number two, whether or not the spell hits the opponent. Number yep. three, whether the opponent's spell penetration value is lower than your spell penetration dice roll, etc., 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 etc. But when you think about it from first principles, it actually lends itself surprisingly well to computational-style uh, uh, processes. But this
1: is the thing, right? Like Games actually make very good simulations because of what they are, which is they have to... I should say video games, but actually games in general have this property, yes. which is they are trying to model something in a way that makes them playable or turn-based. It, or
0: It discretizes continuous experiences, I would say, <laughs> in in a manner of speaking.
1: You could say that, although if you're going to expand that all the way to any kind of game,
0: including sports... Oh. I'm sure there's gonna be yeah, there's gonna be lots of exceptions. But you know, in computer yeah. games in particular, video games in particular, yep. there is a large amount of discretization involved, right? It's figuring okay, yes. how do I categorize, you know, the vastness of this experience into specific things. So say it's right. a racing game, right? What's mm-hmm. the car model and what do these cars attribute or what attributes do these cars have? Right? Speed, right. tire wear, durability, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And and then how do I turn these into parameters that can be optimized or that can be, you know, used to 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 basically affect the likelihood of success?
1: Okay, so this is this is something interesting because one of the gamers that I follow um, is Quill eighteen, who okay, used to I've be. Heard this thing before. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've, I've mentioned it. So <laughs> um, he used to be a programmer, and he still occasionally does. Um, you know, game programming streams because he he was a programmer not in game development. He was building like enterprise software or something. I I actually don't know. know. (laughs) Um, But then he was streaming on the side and then eventually the streaming became his full-time job, that story. Uh, And now he is actually quite... um, I I mean, no one really knows how much money he makes, for example, but, (laughs) uh, you know, he gets early access to a bunch of games and he must be quite successful in the sense that when he when he shows a preview of a game, a lot of people are tempted to go out and buy it, including me. <laughs> wow. Um. Yeah. yeah. So he showed off um, Microsoft Microsoft Flight Simulator recently. Yeah. Oh, okay, yes.
0: There was quite a fair, fair amount of buzz about Flight Simulator yes, recently. Yes, it yeah. looks
1: really good. Yeah. I mean, and, um, yeah. But the reason I bring it up is he also recently did a run of, not a run exactly, but he was, he was, he put a video on his YouTube about, um, I think an official F1 game that's coming out. I'm not sure of the details. Exactly. So he tried to complete one lap (laughs) in this F1 game. (laughs) And it is, I, I don't know if this is the first like official F1 game. I think so. Right, okay. and so I think in a sense it's probably the gaming experience that most closely models what it's like to be in an F1 car Right. Um, again back to you know modeling right and again yeah. you, um, I don't want to kind of trivialize the difficulty of building a game like this but it is kind of something that's ripe for gaming because physics at this point is mm-hmm. relatively well modeled, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right? We are not. We are not really surprised by like, oh, why did that thing fly off in that direction? Like, we yeah. understand why it does and how to make the calculations to make that happen. And it's all down and... to
0: epicycles, right? You know, it's so simple.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, so he he's playing this F one game. He has a basic, you know, steering wheel and gear mm, setup. Um. And all he's trying to do is complete one lap. But the rules of this one lap are... Okay. If you go in the wrong direction, it's invalid. If you go too far out of, out of the track, it's invalid. Okay. Right? And um, what they do is... They have a a ghost car that you can turn on or off. And what that is, is because obviously many people are playing this game. Right? So they have like kind of world ranking of sorts of all the people who have ever run this lap. The person <laughs> ahead of you in this ranking is the ghost car. Right. Right. And that is a kind of way, I guess, of modeling that competitive element as well. Yep. yep. Right. Um. The thing is, it's often been said, right, that F1 is a very difficult sport because of, you know, how much technical knowledge and how much mm-hmm. skill and how much... How how well you need to to know the car and just basically it's a whole level up from just driving on a normal road. Yeah. And um when you see this game, like that's when you kind of really appreciate it because it's a three minute lap thereabouts. And okay, okay. Quill took thirty two minutes to run <laughs> one valid lap.
0: Holy cow. Yeah, it was just (laughs) him trying over
1: and over and over again. And here's the other thing. Unlike many game streamers and, you know, game vloggers who do this for a living, he does not really swear. Like, (laughs) his his stream is not exactly PG, right? But he doesn't really swear. He doesn't get angry easily. He's Canadian.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um.
1: Yeah. So is ice uh, up by the way. Um, so,
0: I, I I have things I have thoughts that I don't really maybe I shouldn't say on the podcast. But anyway, yes.
1: Never mind. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they're just you know, uh, no Canadians and- are
0: genuinely very nice people. I I agree they are some of the nicest people on earth. Yeah. But f- I've only been to Canada once. I've been to Vancouver I went, I went there two uh-huh. years ago. In my personal experience, the Canadians are incredibly nice, but they're also incredibly passive aggressive.
1: Oh yeah yeah I have no doubt about that.
0: <laughs> so all that niceness is sort of a mask for all that passive aggression just lying underneath. But under anyway. Your r- anyway. <laughs> anyway.
1: Um when it comes to um when it comes to this F1 video, right? It's like I can't remember how long it's slightly before midway. At some point he just goes off the track or whatever. Right. And then he just starts swearing. And then he's just like... I mean,
0: look, if it's going to take you 32 minutes to get something right, that's an incredible amount of patience on anyone's part.
1: I'm not done. So he he lets out a swear word and it's very (laughs) out of character. And then he's just like, well, if I'm going to have to mark this video as explicit, I might as well get my value for money. And then he just spews out (laughs) a whole string right away. And he's like, okay, now we can continue. So that's... um, Very good. That's modeling F one in a game for you.
0: Very good. No, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, F, I mean, F one in itself is is I guess fairly straightforward to to a large extent. I mean, just the the, in terms the track of game modeling, is, yes. The track itself is continuous, fair enough. Yes. Right. So the, the parameter of the space is continuous. Yeah. Um, it's more complex to say a football field. I would. I, yes. I would go so far as to your your turn right, yeah. your turns. I mean, we've we've we done Robo racer. Right. Most yeah, of yeah. us have experience uh, let's doing racing give robots. Give a bit of
1: context for this. Context, Roboracer was yes. a was a thing. Was was a thing. I don't I don't think it goes on anymore. But um, there was this Singaporean company that built these robots called Robo and I think there was another one, Micro Mouse or something.
0: Micro Mouse. <laughs> that Micro-mouse was the for and, the maze, yeah.
1: And Robo yeah. And so these two were were basically things that uh, were meant to teach students secondary school and polytechnic students how to kind of manipulate robots and not to manipulate them so they were already built but you just had to give a set of parameters that would allow the robot to do things so you're given a mm-hmm. track and then you use a you know a piece of software to tell the robot okay for this section of the track do this for that section of the track do that and then you put in the acceleration curves uh, you put in yeah. the turning radius and, and so on and so forth uh, and you also say like okay so there are, there are certain markers that tell the the robot that a, a, a new section of the track is coming up
0: mm-hmm.
1: right it's very akin to f1 where they say you know on turn 47 or
0: yeah, whatever guess. right so that's okay. how you can discretize the track fair enough yeah 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 turn 47 you, you follow this turn ratio and so on and so forth
1: yeah exactly and and then the turning radiuses are fixed you are told mm-hmm. how what the turning radius is uh, and then a bunch of teams mm-hmm. will just race to see who has the fastest um, who has the fastest who, which robot runs the fastest race so yeah. um, ostensibly the robots are identical in practice of course they are not because <laughs> there is a, there is going to be some margin right of yep. you know some robots will be built slightly better, some will be yep. built a bit worse. And you know, some, there's also
0: a huge amount of variance in stepper motor quality as well.
1: Yeah, correct. You're not getting exactly the same parts. You're getting the same yep. specification, but not actually yes. the same parts necessarily. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Micromouse was... <laughs> it's called mouse for a reason. It's a robot <laughs> that you put into a uh, a maze and then you race to see who... Which team... Which is a lot
0: more algorithmic yeah. thinking. It's than, very algorithmic. Know, just optimization of a of a specific race parameter.
1: Yeah, correct. But I mean... I, bearing in mind that was like 2002, two. Yeah, MicroMouse
0: actually took off, right? I think RoboGrom really was, was much more popular. And it, in a sense, yep. it also builds off, it's a much more advanced version of what many you know, primary school students and secondary students would have experienced with Lego Mindstorms as well.
1: Yeah. So if you're doing robotics before that, I think mm. RoboRacer will feel much more familiar because something like MicroMouse is, is really on the... Okay, it's a, what we would now call AI, yeah. although I again I am very queasy about that term.
0: Honestly, um, I mean, is it really though? Because you're setting an algorithm that sort of optimizes a such such parameter or a such yes. strategy. I mean, the, for the, the mouse reason, to reach the goal.
1: The reason that I'm saying AI with a hint of queasiness is that, for example, mm. if you if you take a, a very basic um, class on AI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or discrete math, for that matter. Like, mm-hmm. if you're doing graph theory and searching through a, a tree in graph theory, <laughs> right? Yep. Then you are looking at whether what kind of what kind of search um, produces the fastest result. So yes. the way that the way that it's done, like for example, again, if you look at CS fifty x, the AI class, because mm-hmm. after CS fifty there is a the option to do a CS50's introduction to artificial intelligence or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the class and the, the first thing they cover is breadth-first versus depth-first search.
0: Right. Oh, yes. Um, okay. Yep.
1: And how you... I mean, obviously, when you look at a maze, right, we recognize it as a maze but how you build it for a computer is you build it in terms of a graph and that is graph yes. in the graph theory sense. Yes. Right? You have a starting node and mm-hmm. then all the possible directions, like north, south, east, west, right, are mm-hmm. sub child nodes, right? And then you you go down, and then you get a tree, mm-hmm. right? And you you build out that whole tree based on at any point in the in the maze, what are my options? Yes, right. Yeah. Um. So if you imagine you have a maze and you can turn it into a grid then it's relatively straightforward because you now have a grid and at every point in the grid, you have four possible options, up to four possible options, which are up, down, yes. left, right? Mm-hmm. right? Uh, or down to then two
0: options. Well, actually one, reverse. One. If you did it. Right,
1: forward or reverse,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but actually, in, in in reality, you're only going forward because the reverse is handled by whichever mm. search algorithm you're you're doing, which yep. is I went forward and I didn't find anything. I back up. Yep. to the next note to the, or the last note where the another option note, was it. available. Right. Yes. Yeah. So in that case, then you have a tree and then you have your breadth first and your depth first search. And depth mm-hmm. first is as long as there are child notes, I will follow those child notes. Breadth yep. first is I will explore all possible notes at this level. Yes. And then I determine whether these ones, I, I determine which note to follow. Out of the ones correct. that are available at this level, and it's go a on
0: slower to, starting algorithm, but it might lead to better optimization down uh, da- downstream.
1: Correct, correct. And I mean, what MicroMouse effectively is is you are building an algorithm that tells the the mouse, right? Mouse, okay, yep. mouse, the robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, okay. When How you to encounter, in a maze. yeah, when you yeah. encounter a situation that matches these parameters, do that. Otherwise yeah. do this Otherwise do that So Yeah um, I, I think in a sense I, I don't necessarily want to You know Downplay The skills of You know Students from 13 to 18 years old And say It's a more challenging problem Than Than something like a RoboRacer Because a RoboRacer track Is a defined track mm-hmm. You can optimize For something that is known Yes Right Whereas yes. uh, Micromouse Maze is, is is not. You yeah. literally don't know what you're going to be thrown into. And yeah. it's, it's going to be deliberate, right? Because like, again, if you take any kind of, you know, class on searching through a graph, right? Mm-hmm. You're given these graphs that show you, okay, a depth-first search is great for a graph that looks mm-hmm. like this. And a breadth-first search is a great for a graph that looks like that. And then you might have yes. a modified depth first or modified breadth first that is optimal for a graph that looks like this or that. And obviously mm-hmm. the 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 maze that you're going to get in micromouse is going to be one that is as difficult as possible for the common <laughs> algorithms.
0: Yes. Right? That's right. And so what are you going to yep. do
1: about it? I mean, you're 13 years yep. old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it's it's easy to kind of understand why there is a satisfaction in just knowing, okay, I just put the robot on the track and I get a number back and I know what I need to do to improve that number. Yes. Yep.
0: Yep. Uh, Gosh. All these things we've done in our childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Anyway. Because, I mean, mean, for Lego Mindstorms, it was fairly straightforward. You have, Mm -hmm. you know, if once you mastered the, um, the rotational sensor, you basically could optimize fairly easily any for any kind of track. Have right. you have you played with a rotational sensor before?
1: I actually have done very little Mindstorms.
0: Okay. So for Mindstorms, I mean, there's, there's the basic sensor, the light sensor, which I believe is also what the RoboRacer uses. Yep. Right, to to maintain yep. its alignment on, 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 on the track, right? So you could, you know, just as well build an entire Lego Mindstorms racer using the yep. light sensor. Yep. But the problem is that often, you know, gives you a fair amount of variability depending on lighting conditions. They also depend yes, on of course. You know, whether if you stray from the track, can you refine the track again? It could yes. just lead to the inco- going completely off, off the track. Um, yep. So what the most, uh, or at least the, the way that I found uh, gives you the best results and the most consistent results is a rotational sensor, which basically controls literally how many rotations your your motor makes for any particular segment of your track. So it gives you the, the most amount of control, and it, this is assuming that the track is standardized, right? It gives you the most amount of control over how to get from point A to point B. Since you're saying, okay, at this point the motor rotates X number of revolutions.
1: Interesting, and, and so on and so forth. How well tuned is that motor?
0: Quite well. I, I, it's okay. I, I have to caveat this by saying it's been donkey years since I touched Lego Mindstorms. Okay. Gosh, it's been more than fifteen. It's oh gosh. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's probably been, been 17 more years. years. 17
1: years, yeah.
0: Right, 17, 18 years since I have touched Lego Mindstorms. But basically, as far as I can remember, it's quite sensitive, and it works remarkably well. The problem is you have to basically do everything. It's it's not algorithmic. It's it's yeah. um it's 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 brute force. You're literally yes. putting the. Com- Putting the robot on the track, it runs. It makes you know, and 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 you you basically count how many how many rotations it requires for you to get to to say clear that particular turn or that right. particular straight. And it's 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 yeah, it's it's brute force. It's a you know, it's a it's a guess and check kind of approach. But if you can put the time into to to, to trialing everything and you know running tests, you'll have a a, a perfectly successful robot.
1: Interesting, because I mean. Once you, I, I, I don't want to say like once you put robots onto, into the real world because that's kind of um, not exactly accurate. But yep. the reason that that's not a altogether common approach is just because you depend on a perfectly calibrated motor to know exactly where you're going. If yes. you don't have a means of self-correction at some point and yeah. perfectly calibrated yeah. motors don't exist
0: no they do not they really do not I <laughs> so... mean it, it, the, yeah that that is just I, I would say it's a bit of cheating as well to be fair yeah. but uh, oh god okay I'm looking up the, the the world of Lego Mindstorms and it's still quite active and you know, there's, <laughs> good god there's a website that looks at the uh, exact uh, 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 physics of the rotational sensor it's quite remarkable
1: <laughs> right
0: well wow. good heavens okay I'm going to put this in the in the show notes. This is quite an interesting thing. But yeah, well, oh God, it's been forever since I've touched robotics. Also, guess what? It's been an hour since we started recording. What? No, that's not right. Oh, good heavens. Okay, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. And we haven't really gone very far. We've talked a little bit about programming. No, we haven't. We've talked a little bit about speed running games and then we, uh, we got to robotics. Yep. Which, you know, I, I don't think any of us can claim to have any particular insight into, it's just that we spend a fair amount of time of our childhood tinkering around with robots, that's it. Pretty much.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, and you I know, mean there's and, and, sorry. I was gonna say like there is actually so much other stuff that we could talk about. And actually yeah. part of part of why um, I even got to know about Cool 18s channel is that he is Primarily, maybe not primarily, but a big chunk of his streaming is actually Civilization.
0: Oh, oh which right, again, okay. Which again
1: Yeah, yes. which again is like Civ Six is uh how I got to know of his channel to begin with, because I was like, Okay, I've watched Civ five streamers, then Civ Six came out and I was like, Should I get Civ Six? And so you do what you do these days, which is you find somebody on YouTube playing the game and yep. then I was like, Yes, I shall get Civ Six But um <laughs> I mean, part of, part of well, something that I've, I still haven't gotten around to doing that I really want to do, right, is to just do like a really deep study of all the ways in which Civ VI attempts to model civilizations. Yep. Which is, I mean, when you think about the, the number of assumptions that have to be made in order to produce even a basic workable... Um, civilization, a game, right, is actually not is very non-trivial. Yes. Um of course. I mean just, just to give an example, right? For example, um I have been okay, let, let's start with the Civ mechanic first. So the Civ mechanic, Civ Six has a mechanic called loyalty. Yeah. And what that is, is when you found a city, right, if there are not many cities owned by you near that new city, right? Let me, let me backtrack because this is very confusing. When you found a yep. city, that city right, receives loyalty pressure from surrounding mm-hmm. cities. Mm-hmm. And the further away a city is, the less loyalty pressure it exerts. Right. So, um, if you found a new city... In the middle of territory you already hold, then it's going to receive loyalty pressure from your existing cities and it's yep. just it's just your civilization exerting pressure, loyalty pressure, yep. on your new city. So it makes sense because if you found a new city, right, in the middle of the US, they are never going to say, Hey, I wanna secede. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um yep. that kind of thing. But if you found a city on the border then yep. you start to have a problem because a border town and border towns always have this problem. I mean, look at Europe, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, sure. Border towns receive plenty of loyalty pressure from the other civilizations that, that border them. So yep. if it's early on in the game, not a lot of land has been claimed. It's fine. You know, you just expand out as quickly as you can until you meet another civilization and your borders clash, mm-hmm. Right. And then now you will have towns or cities at the edge of your civilization that are exerting pressure on your opponent's civilization, on on your opponent's town, to be specific, and vice versa. Right? And if one of those border towns, right, if their loyalty drops too low, um, they Uh, can rebel. Yes. They can rebel and become what's known as a free city.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. And then there are two ways that you can deal with a free city. You can take it militarily or you can exert sufficient loyalty pressure on that free city for it to convert to your civilization.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Right? And y- <laughs> there is a Reddit... I don't remember the name, but we'll, we'll find it <clears throat> and put it in the show notes. There is a Reddit that that turns like geopolitical events into civ events.
0: <laughs> right? And so, like, okay, when the Hong God. Kong protests
1: were going on, for example, yeah. they were like, Hong Kong has become a free city. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ooh, it's that kind okay. of thing. Okay, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And yeah. now, you can imagine that the today, what that would look like is, you know, China has conquered the city of Hong Kong. I mean, it's kind of like that. Well, yes. <laughs> um, yes. Kind
0: of. Right? Um... We should we should so, pair a, a playthrough of Civilization with a with a, a live reading of say Paul Kennedy's Rise and Fall of Great Powers or Sam Huntington Sam Huntington's oh uh, Clash of Civilizations.
1: That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I mean, I was, they're all I was from thinking, like late
0: eighties, mm-hmm. early nineties, kind of uh, big big history type uh, treatises. Anyway, yeah. right? So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, if there are going to be any history treatises that that fit Civ, it's going to be big history. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be.
0: So when was Rise and Fall of Great Powers in 1987? So, uh, around that same time, right? I think, when was Civilization first released? It's a good question. I'm not sure. 91. Yeah. So, yeah, around yeah, it's the year. close uh, enough. Wow, good heavens. A lot of interesting, you know ways of I mean that 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 style of thinking was very very prevalent in the late yep. I guess fall of the Soviet Union and, and yeah, yeah the, definitely yeah
1: and I think here's the here's the interesting thing right which is when you play Civ, if you come to it from the point of view of I, I need to learn this game and I'm looking at elements in the game and I'm trying to see parallels in the real world, you will find them because I mean sure. they came from somewhere sure, but there yeah. are some things that for the sake of keeping the game Simple enough, mm-hmm. and also you know there we are we are getting into kind of like philosophical territory, like a map is not territory kind of thing, and also like was it Borges um Jorge Luis Borges who mm-hmm. wrote that you know you can't create a map that replicates exactly the detail of the real world because then you have you've just created a copy of the real world,
0: yeah, I mean um, you know, someone who makes maps this is a very yes. real thing,
1: so. yeah, and I mean. They have to be selective in discarding some things that do happen in reality yeah. in order to make it fit into the game, but well, i mean for yeah. example i w- I was listening to an audiobook from the great courses about um the, the history of China, and I was mm-hmm. at the part of um the warlord era from i think nineteen twenty one to about nineteen thirty seven thirty nine thereabouts right um, yeah nineteen so that is the
0: oh, that recent nineteen
1: yeah Okay. Oh, I, wow. There were several warlord eras in Chinese right. yeah. history <laughs> Sorry,
0: I might be thinking of a much earlier one Of the Sang yeah. e era Yeah,
1: yeah. no, it's not Romance of the Three Kingdoms right. period It's like it's like uh, after the death of Yuan Shikai yes. okay. era Right, yeah. when basically
0: 1925, oh wow, okay, yeah Yeah. rise of the so, Kuomintang, is it? Is it not, correct, wait. exactly Okay, oh
1: Exactly and so now you you have a problem because this is not something that is modeled in the Civ game. I don't right. believe it's modeled anywhere in the Civ game um, where an empire disintegrates into yes. several smaller ones. Yes. I, I don't think... I've, I've played Civ 4, 5, 6 and I don't think this is something that Civ can model if it's going to be a playable game in the way that we know it. Huh. Right, right. Because okay. what you would need is you would need one civilization that where across the board loyalty drops. Right, which, which there isn't a mechanic for that because your capital. I mean, is always it possible to
0: model factionalization as a precursor to civilizational implosion?
1: Um, there is a precedent for it, which is Civ Four colonization. So okay. Civ Four had a uh, expansion pack, I right. guess. Um, called colonization that nobody plays, um, <laughs> because after that they released Beyond the Sword, which is what everybody plays. So colonization actually has the mechanic. I don't know if Beyond the Sword has has it as well, um, right. but Civilization colonization has the mechanic where if you have a if you have cities on a different continent from your capital,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they may eventually ask to become a colony.
0: Um, okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, and if you grant them independence, then they yeah. become an ally by default. Um, okay. Although I do not remember what happens if you refuse them independence. Like, I don't think there are any really negative effects. So it's not. <laughs> it's very imperfect in in that right. sense. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, there's going to be more yeah. civilization schemes coming out at some point. Yeah, so for sure. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Huh. Yeah. Hang on. Is there? So, any- Chinese leader S. Genghis yeah. Khan
1: There 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 Let's is see. there is um, okay. in Civ 6 it's Qin Shi Huang
0: Oh oh okay yeah I guess yeah. that's the time period they they're going for yeah. right
1: In Civ okay. 5 it was Wu Zetian.
0: Wu Zetian okay Wu Zetian right and okay In
1: Civ 4 I believe it was Mao Zedong
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which
1: actually thinking about I mean after listening through the after listening through the audiobook I'm actually kind of Really ambivalent about these choices because none of them, right? Okay, they they all occupy a culturally important place. Yes, in Chinese historical memory, but none yes. of them were particularly good leaders. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> well, I mean that's always a relative thing, right? So yes, but no, yeah, yeah fair enough. I mean, well, I Zin mean
1: unified China and then he died and then China broke up again I mean that's yeah. like, kind of
0: <laughs> yeah, but they were know? all they were all um, I would say unitary leaders so they, they, they were leaders yes. during a time of, of, of fairly high levels of, of that is of true cohesiveness across the civilization which maybe is what Siv was going for so you know just that judging by the three Chinese leaders I mean if they if they ran like Sun I mean, Yat-sen or, or Chiang Kai-shek that would be interesting yes. right <laughs> I mean
1: you couldn't make you couldn't make Genghis Khan a Chinese leader even though he well, technically kind of, of was
0: um <laughs> you
1: couldn't make Sun Yat-sen a Chinese leader because he he never made it to that point.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, but Chiang Kai-shek, well, actually to uh, be fair, tse Tong and s- Chiang Kai-shek were, yeah, anyway.
1: They were contemporaneous.
0: Yeah.
1: Um yeah, so I'm I'm just kind of thinking like because the thing about service is that they they also are trying very hard to be diverse, I think yep. you can tell. Yeah. And um you know, they've added a lot of sifs that are not traditionally on the consciousness of at least the, you know, somebody who is educated in the Western or even the Eastern tradition. Like yeah, they have like a Nubian Gitarja leader. from Indonesia. Yeah, Gitaja is in um, as of Civ 6. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, I mean, they've had Mayan, they've had Maya and uh, Inca leaders for a while and Aztec leaders.
0: Um, oh, they have, they have Jayavarman the Seventh. Wow, from Cambodia, yes. the Khmer Empire. Interesting.
1: Yes, they have had that since they've had someone representing like the Khmer or the Cambodians since Civ four. I,
0: I, think. Oh wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, as of, I'm trying to remember who else. I mean, they have they have added a bunch of uh, Native American leaders in right. Civ five and six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. They've also fought for well-known civilizations. They've also tried to get away from commonly known leaders. So they just added an e- uh, Ethiopian leader who mm-hmm. is um, Menelik II. Right. And that's like, okay, who is he? Google.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: like I only know one Ethiopian leader and it's not him. <laughs> um, Interesting. That kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Pound yep. maker of the Cree. I have no idea Oh, yep. okay Wow Yeah,
1: exactly So they've been, they've been trying But um, I mean It's nice to get away From like Civ Four Where the Russian leader Was like Stalin
0: Oh, okay <sighs> Just like why but Fair enough Why, why yeah. would you do that? I'll play Red <laughs> Alert instead Thank you very much <laughs> Yep. So <laughs> Okay uh.
1: Yeah, so I think but okay, then we're kind of getting into games as cultural objects, right? Like yes, the ability of games to, very much to so. influence, you know, the way that I, I'm going to say the, the way that a new generation thinks. I mean, this is something that I was commenting to my to my sister yesterday actually that I think the games that you you play the most when you are between say 10 to 16, they have some kind of imprinting effect on you. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. And yeah. Well,
0: I mean, not just games, but the games, the books, the whatever. Basically, yes, your yes. life experience at that age has a yes. strong shaping effect on your yeah, yeah. downstream life philosophy. Yes, definitely. Like
1: that's, that's, the, that's when you're building, I think, mental models of what the world is like. Sure. And you're very affected by the stuff that you read during that time because it helps to construct your conception of the world.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And but I, I mean, think, to be fair, you know, the, mm-hmm. the age thing is is p- perhaps a function of, of you know, the fact that, that, yes, that's when the brain is really, you know, picking up new things and generating yes. new structures. But I think broadly speaking as well, um, you know, it's that first few years when you're doing something new. So it doesn't really matter depending yeah. on your age. Say if I'm, if I'm you know, in our th- we're in our 30s right now and yes. I'm learning a new, a, new, a new subject from scratch. Right, Wait. the way I I perceive, you know, ideas or new information from this subject will be heavily dependent on the concepts I'm introduced to at the very beginning.
1: That that is all true, yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's the same thing of you know, if you are if you are picking up a new skill, the mm-hmm. first way you learn to do it is the way that you're going to do it for a very long time. It's very hard to undo that. Initial, I mean, if I had to learn German. I've been thinking
0: about it in terms of English. Put okay, that is that <laughs> we are
1: we're getting into into dangerous uh, territory.
0: Yes, fair enough.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, but I think the thing is, like for me, right, I I find myself actually generally reluctant to pick up a lot of new games. Okay. Um, just because of the initial hurdle of difficulty, the learning curve. Because yeah, there is a learning curve with most games, right? Yeah. And I think yep. when you are between ten to sixteen, you have a lot of free time, and you're yep. just procrastinating. Um, and I mean, even and when I mean, it comes to a lot of Civ, people
0: from our age, sorry, yeah.
1: I have to say, like, even when it came to Civ, yeah. I picked up Civ during, like, I think it was spring break. Okay. When I had a oh, lot of time God. and yeah. nothing yeah, to yeah, do, yeah. right? Which you don't really get as an adult. Like, as an adult, it's like, I, I want to have some, I want to be entertained, but I don't want to work for it.
0: Not just that, how much time do you actually have to game when, yeah, exactly. when you're our age, right? Exactly. No, but the other thing is this I see a lot of people from, you know, people from our generation. Uh, going back to playing old games, yes, you know, Pokemon. Yes, <laughs> occasionally experiences a resurgence in in popularity. Uh, yep. Another game that I think was popular with other people but not really me was Phoenix Wright, which is like a law type do game. Do not know that game. Okay, it's it's a it's a funny one. Um, you know, but yeah, Final Fantasy. Yes. <laughs> Age of Empires. <laughs>
1: Which I think then this goes back nicely to GDQ, Games Done Quick. One of the criteria that they use when choosing which games to include in a particular edition of GDQ is the nostalgia factor.
0: Right. No, it makes a whole ton of sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously they are trying to showcase a wide range of games. They're trying to show like some new games that have come up. Um, And here's the other thing, right? Which is you don't want to, constantly show the same game and same type of run. You know, if somebody yeah. did a Pokemon red run like whenever, we're not gonna do that again, kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um there's only so many ways
0: to speedrun run something as well. Unless you um, found a completely new exploit or, people uh, will
1: disagree with that. And I think okay, mm, to, okay, to kind of to kind of you know bring up like optimality, right? There is a, a big question about whether it is possible to reach a known optimal state in a speed run, right right
0: uh,
1: and of course of course, this optimal state must exist if you think about it yes. right the game hasn 't changed there, there must be a lowest possible time um, yes. but of, of course the, the other thing is, do we know what that time is, and <laughs> are there new discoveries, which is a strange yeah. thing to say about a game, are there new yeah. discoveries that can push that boundary out a little bit more. And so there is a, a YouTube channel um, by a guy called Summoning Salt who does history of speedruns. Oh, bloody hell. History of speedrunning records. Okay. And I think one of the most... Um, I mean, I'll, I'll put a link to uh, Super Mario Brothers. Okay? Right, So yes. I need to check if this is still a standing record because sometimes... All all these records, right? Sometimes a record will stand for years, and then sometimes there will be like, um, you know, there will be a new an discovery, upstart. and then they, yeah, <laughs> not necessarily an upstart. Sometimes it right. is an upstart that that makes a difference, but sometimes yeah. a new glitch will be found, and then they will fall in quick succession until mm. we reach a new optimal for this known bug, right, or this known yep. state of the game. Yeah. So, um, Super Mario Brothers. When did that come out? I mean, the game is older than us. It is, um, yeah. The let's yeah. actually just look that up. So, and actually, let me just look up the speed run time. SMB. Okay, nineteen eighty-five. So, good heavens. <laughs> so it is um fifteen, twenty, thirty-five years old. Yeah. Gosh. Right. So, um, what happened with Super Mario Brothers is that it's been speed. It's been speed speed run. And the time has been coming down and down and down, Um, and it has been uh, sub five minutes has been possible for a long time, (laughs) right? Wow! Yeah, and you you can I'll post the summoning salt um, video, and it's a it's a it's a documentary. It's like oh my god, minutes long? It's long. And he goes into great detail. He goes into very big detail about why something is possible, why something is not possible, when something became possible. I mean, it was always possible, but when it was discovered, right, and um, things like that. And so, most recently, six months ago, um, a player called Cosmic. Um, he's Cosmic D twelve on YouTube because I guess D twelve. Uh, he recently breached forty five minutes. He, he hit 45 minutes my foot he hit 4 minutes 55 seconds and 646 milliseconds
0: holy cow yeah someone should write a book huh? Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Speedrun Revolutions
1: I mean it is a <laughs> I, I, I do have an article somewhere on my blog called like <laughs> speedrunning and the scientific method or something there we and go and it's along those lines it's along those lines because there, it is what happens where okay you find a a method you run it and then you reach a state of optimality for that method and
0: mm-hmm. then you
1: cannot make the next breakthrough until somebody says why don't we try it that way instead yeah yeah and of course there is a period of time because people are when when it's known that that method is as fast as it it gets or you know we've run it to its to its limit then there is a period of time where you're just trying to find a new way of doing something, but it takes yep. time because yes, you're absolutely. going to find a lot of things that don't work, yeah. or you're going to find a lot of things that people have tried in the past and then rejected because it was too slow, mm-hmm. right? But it mm-hmm. actually has a higher top um, potential than the right. the one previously run was was done, which is also something that you see in in you know any kind of sport in general, really. When people are at a certain level, they will go for the safer option. Mm -hmm. But when people reach the highest levels, they try and master the riskier options.
0: Right. right? And to be
1: more consistent with the risky options. So, yeah. yeah. So, Cosmic, um, he got 4 minutes, 55 seconds, 646 milliseconds. And then he retired (laughs) from speed running. He retired from speedrunning Super Mario Brothers and now he's doing gimmick videos where he's like, let me... He's run the game blindfolded before at GDQ. Right. (laughs) Okay. So like that's like or one-handed or I can't remember he's run it with his feet. That kind of thing. Now he's playing like ROM hacks and and stuff because I think his feeling is that I have... He's... He's done this for like what, 10 years? I don't know when he started speedrunning SMB. Okay. And uh, you imagine playing a game that for you is less than five minutes long?
0: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> for ten years.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, I have not yet completed SMB.
0: <laughs> well, yep. Fair enough. I have I ever completed SMB? I don't even I don't even think I have. I don't think I have. Yeah. I know I, ha- I have a Game Boy Color. I have Super Mario <laughs> Brother. I have Super Mario. Huh. Good yep. question. Anyway, I think this might be a good place to... To stop. Yes, on Super Mario. Yes. Which I hope everyone has played at least once. I mean, good, good God. Yes, please.
1: <laughs> yep. All right. Um, I will catch you next week. Yes. Hopefully. Depending on how GDQ goes, because our recording time next week will be in the middle of... Well, no, what, not the middle. Oh, yeah! In the in the end stretch of GDQ, which is always the okay. the. Well, I mean, I'm coming to the you from the, the
0: just the end of a week long bird conference, uh, which has it's, <laughs> it's the North American Ornithology Conference, and right. uh, I mean, it's it went fully online, which has changed a bit of the sign up numbers. So I think it's right. now the biggest con- biggest Ornithology conference in history, uh, with 3,000 right. participants. It's immense.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, that is that is interesting because GDQ has always been online, but uh, it's always been streamed online. But it's always had right, an a, component. So
0: that's a streaming thing. But you know, yes, if you're exactly. at an academic conference, it's talks, there's networking, interaction, and yeah. I mean, I, I must say, you know, for something that was hastily cobbled together because of the pandemic, you know, everything was supposed to be online. It was supposed to be in person. I'm supposed to be in Puerto Rico right now, which <laughs> clearly I'm not. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, Interesting I mean, it's, It went surprisingly well So you know I mean there were Technical problems But hey Every conference In person or online Has technical problems Has technical problems You yeah. have speakers That don't show up You have In fact there's a funny story I, I, I know we're over time but I'm just going to tell this story At the last bird conference I was at Which is the International Ornithological Congress In Vancouver um, uh-huh. I was at one of the symposia and uh, symposium sections you know in the audience listing so there are I think five speakers for that symposium so the first speaker went and the you know, second and so on and so on the last speaker uh, was nowhere to be found right? right and it was people like okay um you know, it's uh, so the fourth speaker had just finished his his talk, I'm like okay, question and answer. Now uh, we're not sure what the fifth speaker is. We're giving five minutes to show up, and exactly at the five minute mark, he walked into the to the hall with his luggage. He just got off the plane and rushed to the to the conference center. Oh and my god! He made god. it just in time, and he gave a fantastic talk as well. So it's like the the talk that everyone remembers because holy cow. That was remarkable. Wow, okay. Yeah. That is so, remarkable. Anyway.
1: All right, so this is this is episode 10. We made it, it to 10. Woo. We made it to double digits. Yeah, so the show notes for this episode can be found at monkeymind.xyz slash 010. And uh, we will hopefully catch you next week if I am not watching speedrun. Maybe I will be watching speedrunning while I podcast. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> it's a possibility. All right, that is all. Bye-bye.
0: Goodbye.